0: This is the Alabama Law Enforcement Alliance for Peer Support podcast. Our goal in this podcast is to provide you with information, whether you are a law enforcement officer or first responder, to help you deal with your everyday stressors. Welcome to today's podcast. This is a continuation of a conversation with Dr. David Klinger, author of the book, Into the Kill Zone. And we also have with us Dr. Tim Falk, a clinical director of Al Leaps. And we are very excited to have Dr. Klinger back. That was an incredible interview that we had in the last podcast. So in continuing with that, we first want to make sure that for our listeners, that uh, you would consider picking up the book into the kill zone. This is uh, you're hearing from Dr. Klinger, hit both his experiences and the research that he's done, and make sure if you didn't catch the last podcast that you would do that. But Dr. Klinger is going to be our guest speaker at our annual Leaps conference, and this is going to be on February 7th. Starts at 8:30 in the morning, and the night before we have a meal for the officers and their families, if the Wives, spouses, or husbands can attend. And that will be at 5 p.m. in our fellowship hall. And you can register for this conference at harvestdothan.com forward slash Al Leaps. Really looking forward to that. Dr. Falk, talk to us about uh, the things that are going to be happening that day at the conference.
1: Be glad to, Keith. We'll, we will start off with, like we always do, with the the National Anthem. We'll have somebody sing uh, the National Anthem for us. We'll, We'll do the stuff that's really, really important because we're thankful we live in America. And uh, for the ones that did listen to that first segment, uh, if you've been through our peer support trainings, you know why now I had Dr. Klinger come because, you know, we spend uh, in our peer support training the first day of training, we spend eight hours of intense training on the dynamics behind the officer-involved shooting because we we feel that uh, in a lot of situations, most officers that are involved in officer-involved shootings, they're never, they never receive the care that they need to receive based on the dynamics that's happened to them. And, and so that's the reason why we, we set out with our 32-hour training. That first day of eight hours is officer-involved training. And then we spend the next 24 hours uh, talking about peer support and how we can partner with each other to take care of that. And so I'm really interested. Uh, Dr. Klinger, uh, I do want you on Monday night to speak maybe 10 minutes uh, about just what they can expect on Tuesday. And then... Uh, Uh, then we look forward to your presentation on on Tuesday. Uh, So if you would kind of just take us through uh, this next segment on on exactly – Keith and I are are new to this, and we want to come sit in the auditorium. We've heard this guy named Dr. Klinger that wrote Into the Kill Zone. And so we'd like to hear – Uh, what you're going to present that day that is of of interest. You've talked to us about the book, and I kind of think we know where you're going with this. But again, I just think it'd be interesting because some of these folks may just tune into this portion of the podcast. And so uh, if you would, sir, just kind of give us a synopsis of what's going to happen on Tuesday.
2: Yeah, so uh, my understanding the way that things are structured is I'll be talking at four different times for about an hour. And so basically what that does is that makes up about a half a day training session. And uh, I've done this type of thing before, not in this exact format. Um, and so I'll just sort of talk about how I see the, the, the four hours playing out. Um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll talk about how I came to, to do the study. I'll talk about my own experience as a police officer in Los Angeles very briefly and the fact that I was involved in a shooting. And from there, the rest of the time, will be focused really on, on two things that are interrelated. Um, and the first thing is what goes on during a shooting. So I mentioned in the last segment that I interviewed all these police officers who were involved in shootings. And what I did, and now I'm putting on my academic pinhead hat, and some of the presentation uh, in February is going to be rooted in my uh, academic research. In fact, the majority of my presentation will be rooted in the academic research as opposed to my own experience and as opposed to the stories the officers told. But I'll be weaving things in for examples along the way. And so um, I interviewed 80 police officers who had been involved in shootings. And when I say been involved in shootings, I mean they shot somebody. They pulled the trigger and a bullet hit somebody. And... um, Some of these people that they shot died, some of the people survived. But at any rate, um, I looked at two things in these interviews when it comes to what went on during the shootings. What were they thinking about? What were their cognitive uh, orientations and um, remembrances and, and, and whatnot? And then also, what were the weird things that were going on? And when I say weird things, I mean things such as, you don't hear your gunshots. I mean, things such as your visual field shutting down to the point where you see nothing but a gun pointed at you. Um, Things such as um, not being able to recall how close you were, how far away you were from where was your partner. So at any rate, we talk about these things as perceptual anomalies. And so I cataloged um, this by looking at what went on before they pulled the trigger and then. Once they started pulling the trigger, did things shift? Were they the same? So on and so forth. So perceptual anomalies during the shootings. Then after we got done talking about the shootings and I went in fine grain detail, they would write down on a what we call a research instrument, a questionnaire. I experienced tunnel vision. I experienced auditory occlusion. I experienced time slowing down. I experienced time speeding up, whatever it was. And then the other thing that any decent academic will do is they will say, others so other perceptual anomalies. And I would have them write it down. And I'd query them about this. So I got a very deep, uh, fine-grained understanding from these ad officers about what they thought and what they felt and what they experienced perceptually. After we got done with that, then I had them um, tell me about what they experienced after the shooting. And what happens there, as I say, within the first 24 hours, within the first week, within the first three months, and then long-term, after three months. And so I'll be talking about Um, Both of these things in terms of these perceptual anomalies that the officers experienced and what they were thinking about during the moment, during the shooting, before they started pulling the trigger, after they had pulled the trigger. Uh, And then talking about what happened to these officers in terms of their adjustments, what types of things, sleep disruption, sadness, excitement, um, so on and so forth, within that first 24 hours, first week, three months, and then on. And so, that will take quite a bit of time. And I haven't got it figured out exactly how much I'll talk about during the first hour block, the second hour block, so on and so forth, but all that information will be there. And as I said, I'll give examples, you know, Officer X, and I won't be identifying people generally, but I will be talking a little bit um, with some people I identify when the officers have given me permission to identify them. And on this, on this point, and I, I will say so uh, during the presentation, this was funded by the National Institute of Justice, which is part of the United States Department of Justice. And one of the nice things about having funding to do this research is that the information that I was provided is um, protected from any type of administrative, civil, or criminal service. That is, I cannot be subpoenaed by a court or an administrative body to say, tell me that officer, you, know, you identify as Officer X, you have to tell me who he is. nope. But if the officer says, feel free to identify me, then I can, but I still don't have to give up the uh, interview schedule, the interview transcript, all that stuff. But at any rate, so the officers know that uh, what they told me is in confidence, except I do have some officers who have said, I don't I don't care if you uh, tell my story. And a chunk of that is because some of these officers are um, unique. That is, I interviewed one officer, her name is Stacy Lim. She was literally shot through the heart Um, and managed to kill the suspect and survive and acquit her career with 25 years on the LAPD. Another guy out in California happens to be the only American law enforcement officer that I'm aware of that ever shot anybody who stole an army tank and was driving it down an interstate highway. So stuff like that. So these officers don't have a problem with being identified. At any rate, so I'll spend quite a bit of time talking about that stuff. Um, Then, uh, more recently, back in uh, 2011 and 2012, I interviewed an additional 218 officers who'd been involved in shootings. And now I interviewed the officers who pulled the trigger and witness officers, that is officers who were on the scene, who could have shot, but decided for whatever reason not to. And so with those officers, what I did was I looked at their thoughts and feelings and perceptional anomalies during the shooting in three phases. Before they started pulling the trigger, as they started, excuse me, when they're pulling the trigger and then afterwards. And on Tuesday, when I'm making my presentation, I'll explain why this is important. Because with my first study, I just said before you started, excuse me, before you pulled the trigger and then once you started pulling the trigger. But one of the things I realized was that for some officers, there's a distinction between when they are shooting and then in the immediate aftermath. And that has important implications for the tactical decisions that officers make about what to do after the gunshots have stopped. So I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, the other thing that is that I'll talk about that's that's interesting to me, both as an academic and also as a uh, someone who is concerned about police officer performance and handling situations well, staying alive, and then dealing with it afterwards, is that officers who were witness officers who didn't pull the trigger, but could have experienced oftentimes the same sorts of perceptual anomalies. And so I'll be going into some fine grained detail about the similarities and the differences between these officers, because witness officers sometimes are forgotten. It's like, okay, if the three of us are on patrol and Tim and I shoot and you don't, um, we're the ones that are going to get the attention, but maybe you went through some, some rough stuff. And so, I'll talk about that as well. Then, another thing that I did with my second study, where I interviewed the 218 officers, both the shooters and the non shooters, the witness officers, is in addition to the perceptual anomaly stuff. I gave them an interview schedule, something called the Peritraumatic Dissociative Reaction Scale. I don't wanna get too deep into the weeds now, but it's something that folks who have uh, looked at combat trauma, crime victimization, other types of things have said, these are things that people experience, not just perceptual anomalies, time slowing down, time speeding up, so on and so forth, but out of body experiences, a sense of detachment, um, a sense that maybe it's more like a movie that's playing on a screen as opposed to you being actually a part of the um, event. so we talk about dissociative reactions <coughs> per excuse me peri traumatic dissociative reactions, and I don't want to get once again too deep into the weeds here, but I know dr falk is is conversing in this, and maybe some of the other people listening will be, but the reason that the folks who came up with this uh, peritraumatic dissociative reaction scale did so, is there was a belief that there's a relationship between what office, excuse me, what people experience during during traumatic events and their post-trauma reaction. That is a belief that if you experience X, Y, and Z during an event, it is more likely that afterwards your adjustment to the event will be explained at least partially by how you experienced it. I'm not a clinician. Um, I don't work with people in a one-on-one thing. My PhD is in sociology. The reason that I get into this is because one of my focuses, one of my foci in grad school was social psychology, but I'm not going to claim any expertise in terms of this link between what happens during the shooting event, in my case, and how officers Respond in the wake of them. But the people that are clinicians and the people that study the linkages between what happens during a traumatic event and how someone adjusts afterwards, I think this is vitally important to that. And so for me, mapping out for both shooters and non shooters in the second study, not just the perceptual anomalies, but this bigger picture of um, weird stuff that goes on during life threat um, is is going to be interesting. So I'll be talking about that. And one of the things, quite frankly, I'll I'll say is that here's the extent of my expertise. And now it's up to someone else to be able to conduct some research, someone else who has a uh, higher degree of expertise in psychology and how it is that events affect people in terms of their soul, their spirit, their emotions, their psyche, Um, I'll let someone else deal with that. And so um, it'll be very clear in my presentation that I'm presenting information that I think is going to be very useful for people for a number of reasons, for officers who've been involved in shootings, for officers that have not been involved in shootings, for spouses, for other family members, to be able to understand something about what their loved one is going through. One of the saddest things that, uh, that I discovered in my uh, first study, the one that led to Into the Kill Zone, was that multiple officers did not feel supported by their spouse, girlfriend, husband, uh, boyfriend, whatever. And a chunk of that was because their spouse simply couldn't wrap their heads around or their loved ones couldn't wrap their heads around what their officer mate, officer family member was describing. Um, and so for, for, for some officers, it was incredibly stressful that their wife, husband, whoever just couldn't get it. And as I said uh, in the first segment of this uh, or the first podcast, one of the reasons for writing the book is for people who are outside of law enforcement so that they can get a handle on what officers go through. And so I do know that there's going to be spouses, there's going to be loved ones who are going to be uh, attending uh, this. And I'm looking forward to being able to provide them with information about what their loved one experienced in the event so that they can have a better understanding of how to assist their loved one in the wake of the event.
1: David, that's awesome. That's exactly what, um, what we need here. Uh, I think if anything, um, you're going to be able to expand the knowledge that we've already began with and um, not only provide them with some new knowledge, I think it'll complement kind of the direction the peer support program is going here. Uh, we're kind of unique in our peer support program uh, because we, we, we deal with law enforcement officers, we deal with the dispatchers, and just recently this year our EMA officials have come on with us. And um, it's a dynamic that, you know, most – most folks don't want to deal with and um i'm one of those guys i i'm gonna i'm gonna deal with it because it's on the table and we've got to talk about it and so I, i'm excited about it keith i'll let you kind of give us the things and i'd like to come back in just a few minutes if it's okay with you guys and kind of since this is january kind of give a recap what's happened the last two years your support. support.
0: i appreciate that tim yeah we're really excited about the opportunities for our listeners to both participate this in person And then also go back and listen to these podcasts. I also know that we're – and I want to remind our audience, we are recording this uh, to be posted on Facebook. So you will be able to watch this on Facebook. And if you are, we want to remind you to get the word out to other officers and their spouses. And want to recommend that that you would advise others to get this book into the kill zone. It will give a perspective both from that of an officer and from, just like Dr. Klinger has mentioned, the public who doesn't have a really good idea of how to connect with some of these concepts. And some of the trauma for those family members, like he mentioned. So this is a great opportunity for you to pick up this book and also plan on attending the conference. Again, just the dates, February 6th and February 7th. February 6th, we're going to have a meal that evening, like I mentioned, at 5 p.m. That's free. It will be free, cost. won't cost anything for the officers and their families. And also on uh, Tuesday, that morning at 8.30 is when we'll be starting. We'll have some complimentary continental breakfast items uh, that will be available. If you get there a little early and you can get get a good seat, and so we look forward for you registering. Again, you can register at harvestdothan.com forward slash You can also look up our website for more resources, which is A-L-L-E-A-P-S dot org. That's alleaps.org for more resources involving the material that you heard discussed today and our conferences. Tim? Talk about what's happened so far.
1: Yeah, I'd like to throw this out too for some of you that say, how in the world I don't, I can't get on the internet and all that kind of stuff." Uh, you can. Uh, we have a a, a toll free peer support number that if you need it uh, at any time and we can get somebody to you. Uh, that number is eight 833- three three. 219-2461, and again, it's answered twenty four seven. And I promise you, within thirty minutes of a call, we'll have somebody contacting you, and we'll put some service in place to take care of you. Kind of a recap. Uh, I was sitting uh, a couple of days ago, and somebody was asking me about where we were in peer support and kind of what the direction we were. And so I got some things put together. Um, in twenty two, we've been able to update our website. In uh, 21 and 20 from January 20 of uh, January the 1st of 21 until December 31st of 2022. We've trained over five we've trained right at 500 officers in peer support, uh, certified them. Uh, this year alone, we've had about a thousand call outs. Uh, again, we don't keep records of it, we just keep uh, contact numbers. Uh, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm with Dr. Klinger. I think the thing I am seeing that a lot of the um, uh, 70% of officers that, that uh, receive some type of uh, don't receive some type of intervention, falling officer-involved shooting. About 70% of them commit suicide, um, and then again, if, if we put something in place for those officers, uh, studies show only about 3% do that. So, all the more reason for, to come to this conference, but get involved in peer support. In uh, 22. 2022, we provided 13 weeks of training, and uh, in 23, we're booked up for seven weeks of training. Our next opening for peer support uh, training, if you're interested in it, you need to contact us because the next opening is January of 24. Uh, Also, kind of closing up, and then I'll turn it back over to Keith, there's a bunch of folks that have stepped up in 22 that have really uh, made this all possible, uh, uh, taking care of expenses. Uh, and uh, made donations to uh, help us continue this. Uh, Jacksonville State University and Caleb Littlejohn there at the... um University has really uh, stepped up and helped out uh, and provided for us uh, in in ways that are just immeasurable. Uh, Alabama Wounded Blue, uh, David Sykes and his group just recently uh, have have gifted us with some help as well. Uh, And so we're just excited about 2023. Again, if you need help, I gave you that peer support number. Please reach out. Uh, We want to be here for you. Uh, Dr. Klinger, uh, looking forward to seeing you a couple of three weeks. Uh, we'll uh, get together and just have a good time and, uh, most importantly, provide some quality training and quality information to our law enforcement officers and, and emergency responders here in our area. Thank you so much for agreeing to come and looking forward to it. Keith,
0: I'll turn it back over to you. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Klinger. And remind you that you can go to our website, harvestdothan.com forward slash owlleaps, that's A-L-L-E-A-P-S, and you can go to the website, both register, and there's some information about hotels and so forth that they can yes, find on there. And uh, just want to say we're excited to host this event, looking forward to it. It's always a great time with these officers, just some time to get away. It's not just an educational experience. We really feel like in that setting that the officers and their families are able to receive some support that they desperately need. So please get the word out about it. Again, you can find this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, and you also can look us up on Facebook at Al Leaps. All right. Well, thank you so much to our listeners for joining us today. We look forward to our next podcast. Thank you for listening. For more information and resources, visit our website, owlleaps.org. If you have any questions or want to suggest a topic for a future episode, email us at alleapspodcast at gmail.com. That's A-L-L-E-A-P-S podcast at gmail.com. The Alleaps Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Facebook.